title this message tonight, The Terrifying Vision, in Daniel 10. And though it's terrifying, I hope it will equally be encouraging for us as well as we just consider just what Daniel is getting at here. And the first thing we see here is the great burden in verses 1 to 3. And in verse 1, it says there about Daniel, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And what it says, that could be understood two ways, that Daniel, as he had this vision, as this word of the Lord came to him, it was about a conflict, or also, and maybe more likely, it is something that caused a great conflict within him. This was not something easy. This was something he was struggling with. And he was really struggling. This was a man now probably in his mid-80s. He's probably just, been, just over 70 years he's been in Babylon. He went there probably about 14 years of age. So he's been there a lifetime. And now he's struggling because hopes were built up when Sarah said the people could go back. But only 50,000 went back, which was not that many considering the whole number of them. And things were not going well. It's the third year of Cyrus. The exiles under Zerubbabel have been rebuilding the temple, but it's, it's slow progress. The, there's growing opposition to them. And Daniel is really concerned about this. And his response we see in verses 2 to 3 was that he mourned for three weeks. He ate no delicacies. He ate none of the fancy food which someone serving the king would have been access to. He was, took some simple food, but he mourned and he prayed. Here was a man tremendously burdened and echoes strongly with Nehemiah chapter 1. Again, Nehemiah was, after he had heard about what was happening to the people who had returned to Jerusalem, he too was, for a long time, he was upset and he, he prayed about it. And what we see here is just the impact that one man, greatly burdened by the situation around him, the difference that that one man can make through his praying. And I hope that encourages you. If we are people burdened, burdened for our families, burdened for our church, burdened for our country, burdened for the state of things in our world, when we're burdened and come before the Lord in faith, we can make such a difference by God's grace. But here's the challenge for us. Are we burdened? Are we willing to take time to consider truly the state of so many people around us who are not saved and facing an eternal judgment in hell? people you may go to school with, people you work with, people in your families, in your neighborhood? Are we burdened as we think about the state of the church, and the church seems to be getting older, and, and the makeup, and so many young ones, and so many who seem to be lethargic? The state of our country with so many laws passed which are against the Word of God, and which are horrendous. Are we burdened? For this? Are we burdened 
for a godless society. You know, part of being a Christian, and we'll be thinking about this in a few weeks' time, as we think on the subject, the cost of discipleship, part of being a Christian is to take up the cross and to follow Jesus. It's entering into the suffering of Jesus. And entering into the suffering of Jesus is sharing that burden that He had as He wept over the godless, as He wept over those with hard hearts. So here we see for three weeks, Daniel was greatly burdened by this. And then we have the man in linen from verses 4 to 11. We see first of all in verse 5 that he's clothed in long linen cloths, which was the dress of a priest. Remember Revelation 7? It speaks of those who are dressed in fine linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints, but also them dressed in fine linen. They're priests offering worship to the Lord. So this one who comes before me, he's dressed in this fine linen, and then he has a, a belt of gold, it says in verse 5, from Euphus was meant it must be some of the very best of gold that was available. His body was like beryl. Beryl is a, a precious gem. Beryl could be different colors, but beryl that was absolutely pure was colorless. And I think this person here was, there was a radiance. There was a radiance from his body that looked like a glorious gem. And then it speaks of his face like the appearance of lightning. Now I think we're beginning to have a clue who this is. His eyes like flaming torches. That sound familiar? His arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of multitude. And it goes on and says, verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. This was a, an awesome sight. Who was this? Well, there are basically a choice of two. Either it was an angel of the Lord, one of those heavenly angels, or I think far more likely, this is the Son of God in His pre-incarnate form. Now, remember, the Son of God, before He came to Bethlehem, He was a spirit who lived with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But He seems in the Old Testament, you have this character comes up called, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. Abraham encountered Him. And I think that is Christ. Before He would come into this world and take on human form, it is Christ coming down, the Son of God coming down and appearing like a human, but far more glorious. We'll have a wee passage here from Revelation 1, and you'll see the similarity here in Revelation 1. And in the midst of the Lamb stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash or belt round his chest, 
The hair of his head was white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And there are variations and how John and Daniel describe their vision. But the similarities are overwhelming. This heavenly messenger, this heavenly messenger is bringing the glory of God, bringing the glory of heaven down into Daniel's situation of discouragement. And this heavenly messenger who is doing this is the very Son of God. And isn't this wonderful? Daniel is burdened. Daniel is distressed. He's crying out to God. And who comes to him? No one less than the very Son of God. God comes and meets him. Now we see in verse 7 that Daniel alone saw this vision. It was not seen by those who were present with him, though they were aware that they were in this presence of glory and they went and hid. It's similar to Paul on the road to Damascus. Those with him heard the voice, but they did not see what indeed Saul saw and blinded him. And this speaks of the grace of God revealing himself to some and not to others. Knowing God's Word, knowing God's truth. It's, it's something we should never take for granted. God chooses to reveal Himself. And when God gives us the opportunity to learn from Him, we must take that to heart and take the most of that opportunity because the time can come when God will stop revealing Himself to people who resist Him. Now, the impact on Daniel, look at verses 8 and 9, was that he lost his strength, his radiant appearance, it left him, and he fell into a deep sleep. Again, similar to Revelation 1 when John fell like a dead man in front of the glorious vision he had of Christ. And we must never forget how awesome, how glorious, how majestic God is. He is majestic, glorious, and awesome, way beyond what we can imagine. And what we need, what society needs, what the church needs, is this growing awareness of God being so much greater than us and having a, a reverence and a fear before Him and never treating God and the things of God in a haphazard or trivial manner. We come before a God who we have to treat with the utmost seriousness. He's a God who people fall down before, terrified when they have a little glimpse of His glory. But there's a lovely picture here. Look at verse 10. Here's Daniel. He's fallen down. He is, he's overwhelmed by this. He, he falls into a deep sleep. In verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Notice that first stage, he, he gets him up to his hands and knees. He gets him up a wee bit. 
And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. We see here both the, the glory, the majesty of Christ, but also his tenderness, his compassion. It speaks of Christ touching him. Uh, several times in this chapter, Daniel is spoken of, again, verse 16 and verse 18, of being touched by the Lord. Daniel was like a broken man. And the Lord comes and meets with him and touches him and raises him up. The man in linen. And then thirdly, we have the message of conflict in verses 12 to 14. As soon as Daniel had humbled himself and sought the Lord three weeks earlier, this had been immediately heard. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So, Daniel, as soon as you began to seek the Lord, you're heard. Uh, this is similar. If you look at chapter 9 and verse 23, it says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you. Again, as soon as Daniel began to speak to the Lord, the Lord is acting. Now, this is wonderful. This is a, a great encouragement for us. And when we fully grasp what is happening here, this should really transform our whole attitude when we pray. The Christian, as they pray, have this God who loves them and cares for them. He is there as an attentive audience to our praying. Can you imagine that? That when you get on your knees to pray, when you pray on your chair, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are just thrilled that you're praying and are delighting in your praying and delighting to hear it and to answer it. Take a, a moment uh, just to ponder that. And the next time you go to pray, stop and think about that. You have a God who really cares for you. You have a loving Father who listens to you. Uh, there's a wee sketch which was very popular a number of years ago in youth circles. It was called the Lord's Prayer. And there's this person starts to pray the Lord's Prayer. In the sketch, uh, they keep getting interrupted by God. And in the sense, they get quite annoyed God, stop interrupting me. I want to get on with my praying and get it out of the way. But God keeps answering them. So often, we pray out of root. We pray out of a sense of guilt. We pray because it's the right thing to do. But so often, we can pray, and we're just saying words. Maybe not even really thinking about what we're saying or expecting that God is listening. When we pray, we have to pause and think, my words are going into the very throne room of heaven. 
Jesus, the wonderful Savior, is taking my words and presenting them perfectly to the Father who hears, who will answer. But also remember this. How did Daniel pray? With humility, with a real burden, with earnestness. Now, you can't just, as it were, make those things happen. You have to pray that God will help you to have that humility, that burden, and that earnestness. When he was serious about praying, God was serious about responding. But here's a good question. If God heard Daniel as soon as he started praying three weeks earlier, why is the answer only coming now? Well, the obvious answer we might say, well, it was down to God's timing, and God knew when the timing was right, and that's why the God only is answering now. That's a good answer, but in this case, it's at least partly wrong. Look what the answer is in verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, here we have staggering truths, and we need to grasp something of the implication of what is being said here to Daniel. We're being told here, and if what we are assuming is right, that this is the Son of God, which seems to be clear, it is the Son of God, we're being told that His coming to Daniel was delayed by three weeks by the prince of Persia. Now, who is the prince of Persia that he's talking about? It is not a, a physical person. It's not a, a human being because no human being could in any ways hold back God from doing this. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is rather one who lives and rules in the spiritual realm. He is a fallen angel, an evil spirit, a demon, one of Satan's army. And what this is reminding us is that there's a real unseen spiritual battle that is going on around us. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Yes, we, we look at the world around us. We see the politics. We, we see the conflict in Ukraine. We see so much that is happening that is visible, that is what you can see. But behind everything that is happening, there is a different battle that you cannot see, a spiritual battle in which the forces of darkness are organized. Look there when it, what it says in Ephesians. It speaks about 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the spiritual force in the heavenly. It's like they're different ranks. They're organized. They are planning, they're scheming, and they're active in seeking to advance the causes of the devil, the causes of evil. So, behind what is going on in Ukraine, who's the real instigator of what is happening in that war in Ukraine? It's not Putin. In many ways, Putin is only a puppet. The spiritual forces of darkness, Satan and his demons, are orchestrating that. What goes on within governments, even in our own land? What's behind governments passing laws which are contrary to the Word of God and include the killing of babies? Who is the real instigator of that? It's not an MP. It's not an MLA. Again, it's the spiritual forces of darkness. It is Satan. And you know, this is why it is so important that we need to pray. Because, take for example the war in Ukraine. Our government can send the weapons. The Americans can send the weapons. The rest of NATO can send the weapons. They can send the supplies but they cannot fire one bullet at the devil. They can't fight him with these physical weapons. But we can. We can. And what we'll see here in this passage is that indeed Daniel was getting into the midst of the spiritual battle as he got on his knees and prayed. And while there's a place in Northern Ireland for our anti-abortion organizations and the campaigns that they do, and it's good for folk to be involved in that and to be active in that and the work of the Christian Institute, but where is that battle really going to be won? It's going to be won in the spiritual realm. It's going to be won as the forces of Christ defeat the forces of evil as truth prevails over falsehood. We need to be aware of the reality of this spiritual battle and aware that we face a very powerful foe who managed to detain this heavenly messenger from coming to Daniel for 21 days. And I don't think we can say this messenger is anyone else than the Son of God. And yet, amazingly, he's being detained. He's been thwarted by these demons for 21 days. Now, we must never see the battle between Christ and Satan as a battle between equals and power, or those who are anywhere near equal in power. It is not an equal battle in many ways. But we do need to realize that Satan has a power, he has a cleverness far beyond anything that you and I can match. He is a powerful, powerful foe. Now, this spiritual battle we see in this passage with the forces of evil who are led by Satan, 
Those who fight against them are the forces of Christ, led by this angel called Michael. Uh, the two main angels who are mentioned in the Bible, Gabriel, who's a great messenger who already met in the book of Daniel, and Michael, who's a great warrior angel. There's that great story in Second Kings chapter 6. When at a place called Dauphin, Elisha is surrounded by the, the king of Syria and his army. And Elisha is totally unfazed by the situation. His servant is panicking. And Elisha says to him, listen, there are more who are for us than those who are against us. And his servant must think, Elisha's gone cuckoo. How can you say there's this whole army who are surrounding us, Elisha? How can you say there's more for us? Elisha prays for his servant's eyes to be opened. And it says in 2 Kings 6, So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. How wonderful. There's this spiritual battle of these forces led by Michael who are working in ways beyond what we can ever know. We don't have to know all about what they're doing. We have to be aware that this battle is there. We're involved in this battle through our praying. But there are these great servants, these mighty servants of the Lord who are fighting for His people. You probably have heard the story of John Patton. You see, we picture of him coming up. He was a Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the Pacific many, many years ago. And there was one night where Patton, who was being a missionary to these people who were cannonballs and who would like to have had him for breakfast, and there was one night the mission sta station was under attack. It was being surrounded and was a very difficult situation. But amazingly, the next morning, the people who were surrounding the mission station, they all left. And Patton couldn't understand this. Until a year later, the chief who had been leading those who were going to attack the mission station became a Christian. And he said to Patton about that incident when they went to attack the mission station a year earlier, he says, who were all those men who were around your mission station? They were God's angels. God's servants were there, protecting His people. And you know that at that time, back in Scotland and elsewhere, there would have been Christians who would have been joining with Patton and his wife, praying for their protection. They were entering into the spiritual battle. And what was happening was happening in response to this. And then we come finally to the message of hope in verses 15 to 21. The great burden, the man and linen, the message of conflict, and the message of hope. Daniel, uh, he's struggling here. He, he puts his face to the ground and is mute, it says in verse 15. And then in verse 16, it says, And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. 
Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord serve and talk with my God? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. He's spent. He's at his wit's end. He has nothing more to give. But again, Daniel is touched. Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Do you see how Daniel, who was flaked out, Daniel who had nothing more to give, how Daniel was strengthened. He says in that verse 19, he was strengthened as the Lord spoke to him. It was the Lord's word entering his mind, entering his heart that gave him renewed energy for the battle. And you know, for us today, the strength will equally come from the same source. It's as we wait on the Lord, as we read His Word, take our time in reading that Word. And I always say to you, if you're busy, don't rush it. Take time, read a short a bit just to read what you can concentrate on, but let God's Word enter your heart. That's where your strength would be. The very Word that spoke and brought this world into existence, when it speaks into our lives, it creates, it recreates us, refreshes us, enables us to go on. In verse 20, he says, then he said to me, do you know why I've come to you? But now I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There's none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now, he has come to, to help Daniel understand. In verse 14, he says this, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days to come. So, he's coming to Daniel to help him understand what is happening around him, what's going to happen in the future. He's coming to Daniel to help Daniel make sense of the world that he's living in. And then he says, I have to return to the prince of Persia. Again, the king of Persia was never called a prince. He's talking, I'm going back to fight again against that fallen angel, that demon who is holding Persia in his grip. And then he speaks about the prince of Greece. He's another demon who is going to influence the kingdom of Greece. But do you see what is being told here? Do you see who is fighting for the people of God? It isn't just Michael, as wonderful as that is. It is the Son of God. It is Christ who fights for His people. You look at the situation in Ukraine and 
they're calling upon the West and calling upon NATO to act and to get involved, involved again and again. But do you see, Christian, who, when we are struggling, when things are going against us individually, when things are going against us as a church, do you see who fights for us? Who's got his sleeves rolled up and is in the midst of the battle? Who has got the combat gear on? It's the Son of God. It is the God of heaven who is with his people. If God is for us, who can be against us?